together. Have you come to bless the Lord today? Lord, we live through this place. We magnify you. We glorify you. Love you Lord, and have your way. Lord, we bless you.
bless the Lord this morning, church, to lift him up, to magnify him, to bless him. Oh, God, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for your love and your mercy. Lord, you see every need today. You know every situation. Do your work, Holy Spirit, I pray. Do your work for you are here.
and you're going through whatever situation you're facing. That is who he is right now. He is the way maker. He's not almost making. He is the complete way maker in your life. Hallelujah. You are the way maker, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Even when you don't know what's going on, you don't feel like a way is being made. He is the way maker. good to see people smiling. I get a little depressed when people look mad. I want to start by saying um, a couple things here. First off, I just received the message that today is the three-year anniversary for the adoption uh, from the Sexton families. We want to celebrate that today if we could. Amen. There are many words that whenever we preach them, our intention is, as pastors, evangelists, uh, bringers of the word is to get people stirred up. A matter of fact, in, in the good old days, we used to say it this way, did you preach them happy was the word that we used. Anybody ever heard that before? Did you preach them happy? 
Today, my intention is not to preach you happy. All right? My wife can't believe I just said that. Today, my intention is not to preach you happy. Today, my intention is to preach us all under conviction. Aren't y'all ready for that? Don't you just love those kind of services? Don't you just love them? When, when you leave saying, my goodness, I just shouldn't have went today. That's the kind of day we're going to have. Hopefully it won't be that way. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to go to Exodus chapter 19. Uh, this is a word that I brought to our church. It was on a Wednesday night. The crowd was soft. That means that there wasn't a lot of people here that Wednesday night. And I preached this word after I got finished preaching it or teaching it, speaking it, whatever you want to say. Uh, after I got finished doing that, I said to myself, Man, I wish there was a lot more people that would have been here to hear that word to, tonight because they, they, they need to hear this word. And uh, so today I'm going to get to share that word with you. And it's entitled, The Greatest Thing That You Could Do Today is what I want to entitle this. I was going to teach on this Wednesday night on Facebook Live. And uh, as I was preparing for the service, the Lord just kept swaying me to Sunday morning, saying you need to do that Sunday morning, Sunday morning. So here we are today. So let's go to Exodus chapter 19. Verse 16, on the morning of the third day, there was a thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain. I want you to try to visualize this. And a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled or shook for fear. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God. They stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in the fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace and the whole mountain trembled violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and the Lord, the voice of God, answered him. Now I want you to imagine this with me this morning. We're walking up a mountain. We're all alone. This is no ordinary mountain that we're walking up. The ground beneath us is literally shaking as we're on our way up. Uh, the mountain is trembling as we're walking up the entire mountain. As we look to the top, it is covered in smoke. At the peak of this mountain, there is a very thick cloud. It's so thick that you cannot even see your hand in front of your face. It is at this thick cloud that out of it there's lightning bolts that are coming everywhere and there's loud thunder. And then God descends on top of the mountain in the form of this cloud. And every time that you speak to God, God speaks back to you with resounding thunder. Has anybody ever been in a place that you wish God would do that for you? Have you ever been to a place you needed to hear God and you couldn't hear God? All right, On this mountain, Moses had no problem hearing the voice of God. He would speak to God. God would literally thunder back to him. This is what Moses is experiencing. If you want to go home and read the whole chapter of Exodus 19, that is what Moses is experiencing in this experience. Now, I want to ask you this question. I want you to compare that to your last experience with God in prayer did, did y'all get that that was the wow moment I heard somebody say wow so that was good what was your last experience with God like if you had to compare your experience like this with God what would yours sound like would it be anything like Moses or, or would you be a lot like myself and many others that would be honest today and say the last time you went before God in His presence you felt distracted I mean every, everything was getting on your nerves everything you were thinking about you, you thought well maybe if I get in a quiet place and close my eyes then I can talk to God and I can really connect with Him and you close your eyes and when you close your eyes you begin to think of oh my gosh I'm supposed to be doing this this afternoon and I'm supposed to do this tomorrow 
And all these things begin to fill your mind. That is what I call distracted prayer. Maybe that's the way your last experience was. Maybe your last experience was much like mine has been before, which is obligatory, which means that we do it out of obligation. Mama taught me I was supposed to pray. She told me. My pastors coming up always told me, you got to make time for prayer. Used to, they'd even tell us, you need to take 30 minutes a day and you need to set the side and they'd name different numbers throughout the year, but you need to get along with God and you need to pray. So often we do it out of obligation because it's the right thing to do. It becomes like a, a little prayer at lunchtime or, or a now Lord lay me down to sleep because we're supposed to do that before we go to bed. It's that moment that we say, well, I haven't talked to God today, so I'm just going to take a few moments here while I lay in my bed and tell God good night if that's okay. You, you, do you understand? And then you could even look at your prayer life as maybe ordinary. That means you just had a just another prayer. Nothing special happened. You just you talked to God. God didn't say anything back to you. It was like another day, just an ordinary prayer. But I doubt when Moses was going up that mountain and any of those words even entered his mind. I doubt he thought of distraction. I doubt he felt it was obligation. I doubt that that day was an ordinary day. It was anything but an ordinary, ordinary day for Moses that day. But here we are some 3,000 years from the experience that I just told you. And we rarely marvel, which means we rarely wonder or stand in amazement at the fact that this God of the universe will permit us now that means that God will allow us to come into His presence. We no longer marvel or are in awe at the fact that God would permit imperfect humans with all of their sins and, and all of their flaws to come into His place. Into His house. And, and, and worship Him in spirit and in truth. We, we, we don't marvel over that anymore. I guess if we could go back to the Old Testament. In the days when we had a high priest. That we would go and say I've sinned. And give him an offering. And we couldn't even get into the presence of God. The high priest would go in for us. With a bell tied around his ankle. Just in case he had sinned. They had to drag him out. Because he had died in the presence of God. That's the God of the Old Testament. We would stand on the outside. While the priest went on the inside. We would never enter, enter into the Holy of holies because we aren't worthy to go there we haven't been in the priesthood God hasn't called us from the tribe of Levi we don't deserve to be in that place we just stay on the outskirts all the time we just gaze in and wonder what's going on on the inside every now and then there's a little smoke that rolls out from behind the curtain and we say oh my he's in the presence of God always yearning and always hoping and just wishing that we could be that priest that we could be in the presence of God that we could experience the smoke the where we couldn't see our hand but here we are three thousand years later maybe we have we've never lived in that day we haven't had to have a high priest we don't we come to God ourselves why aren't we standing in amazement today why aren't we in awe that a God that created this universe would even would even come into this place would even allow us to feel his presence would even allow us to lift up our hands and give him glory where is the awe and amazement and the marvel that we get to worship this great God because we don't deserve to do that. We're, 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 we are imperfect humans. So we should never lose that marvel, that fascination. How did the shocking become so ordinary to us? Is it even possible for our experiences with God in our prayer time to be like Moses's? Well, the first thing you got to do is you got to go up the mountain. Now, in the words of Francis Chan, who's a great speaker and teacher, Francis Chan tells the story of his mentor who is from India. And he gets a phone call from his mentor one day from India. 
And this is our quote. He said, last year, my mentor called me and he was on the phone crying. He was not crying over the state of the church of India. He was distraught over the state of the church in America. Did you just hear what I said? That's powerful. A guy from India that was distraught about the condition of the church in America. And this was his words. And I quote, it seems like the people in America would be more content to take a selfie with Moses than to go up the mountain. He said, don't they know that they can go up the mountain themselves? Why don't they want to go up the mountain? In other words, why don't they want to be in the presence of this awesome God? So the question that I have for myself and the question that I have for all of us today is when was the last time that you enjoyed meaningful time alone with this great God? When was the last time that you had been in the experience with God? It is time so good, time so well spent that you literally did not want to leave His presence. When was the last time that you were praying and talking to God or opened your Bible and you're reading and it's coming to life? It's like a picture coming to a movie. Just as you read it, you can see it, you can sense it, you can feel it. And God's opening up. The Word becomes alive to you. How long has it been since you knelt down and began to pray and, and tears begin to roll down in your face? Or, or maybe you're riding in your car down the road and you begin to cry and ask God for His presence. And His presence fills your car and, and you've got an appointment at 11 o'clock but it's 10 58 and the presence is so sweet you almost want to cancel the appointment because God took time to show up and oh I wish somebody would help me preach because God took time to show up in your vehicle and show you a good time in his presence how long has it been since we've had this meaningful time alone with God you know I I pastor churches and I, I was struggling a little bit my last church and pastor struggle. We have times, have moments. But I remember one service in particular. It still stands out in my mind. When God comes to you and God's presence touches you. You never forget where that spot is. I don't care if it was in your backyard. You could take me today and say this is exactly where I was standing. Looking at that tree right there when the presence of God spoke to me. Right there. You remember it. It's meaningful when, when God shows up. Moses didn't forget about this mountain. This is a powerful experience with God. He always, he dies with this memory in his mind. Can I say to somebody today that I was sitting there on that pew, I'll never, or on that altar, I'll never forget it, when the presence of God had moved so greatly in that service. I don't know if other people were blessed. I don't know if other people got anything. But I know that day that the Spirit of, the, of God came on me, and I know that God touched me that day. There's times that God has a service just for you. That, that's, why when, that's why if I don't feel like preaching, I preach anyhow. Because it may not be about me, and it may not be for me, but it may be for you. And there's times that God has that God moment, that appointment, that He's going to show up and He's going to show out in your life. And I remember that was my day. I had preached a sermon. It wasn't a guest speaker. But I remember kneeling down at that altar, and I remember praying that day. And I remember sitting there, tears rolling down my eyes. And I remember saying, and we had already dismissed church. And I sat there on that altar, and I won't ever forget it. But I said, God, I do not want to get up from this place because what I'm feeling, I'm afraid that when I leave it, it's going to be gone. God, help us that we would not take for granted the moments that God comes down on the mountain and begins to move in our life and begins to change us and begins to bless us and speak to us. God help us to marvel again. Help us to stand in awe at those moments that we are with you alone. See, see now I want to show you three things really quick. 
It is along with Him that we empty ourselves of three things. Number one, we empty ourselves of pride. Number two, we empty ourselves of lies. And number three, we empty ourselves of stress. Anybody want to empty themselves of stress today? Let me show you how. Let's look at 1 Timothy 6.16. The Bible said, Who alone has immortality? Who dwells in an unapproachable light? You can't walk into it. It's too bright. Whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Now the first thing I want to point out. You can just leave it up Chris for just a moment. Till we go to our next verse. In this scripture right here. I love the way it says it. That he who dwells in an unapproachable light. What that means is pride is emptied from my body. Every ounce of pride that I have is empty. Because standing before a person that is clothed in unapproachable light. Has a way of humbling you. When you get in the presence of God. He is so bright. He is so holy that you, my God, if you think you're somebody, by the time you leave His presence, you feel like you're this big. That is why Isaiah, even though he's a great man of God, he's a great preacher, he's a great prophet, he gets in the presence of God in Isaiah chapter 6 verse 1. It's in the year that King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord high and lifted up and his train filled the temple before he even got along with God for just a couple minutes. He's saying these words. He's saying, God, I'm a man of unclean lips. I don't deserve to be in this place. I dwell among a people of unclean lips. Father, I shouldn't even be here. And the smoke of the Lord, my God, Begin to fill that temple. And a man that could have been prideful. A man that's anointed. A man that's a prophet. That literally is called judgment on people when it happens. He's a man of God. But even a great man of God like Isaiah. Is laying with his face to the ground. Saying God I can't even speak to you. Because I'm unworthy. And an angel has to grab tongues and get a coal. From the altar and touch his tongue. And say Isaiah you can speak now. For now you are clean. Somebody ought to shout amen. But I'm telling you if you've got pride in your life. You need to get in the presence of Jesus Christ. Because when you get in His presence, all of the pride is going to empty out of you. It cannot stay in the presence of God. Lies have to leave. Go to the next verse. Hebrews 4.13 And no creature is hidden from His sight. Look at this, the wording. But all of us are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. That means you can put on all the clothing you want. You can do everything. But he says in your spiritual man, when God looks at you, you are naked before him. I'm going to tell you something. Do you know what that means? That means that when you get into the presence of God, you are emptied of all lies. Because speaking to an all-knowing judge tends to induce honesty in your life. So in other words, when you get in the presence of this... This is why people don't like getting alone in the presence of God. Because when you get alone in the presence of God, He starts emptying you of things. And that's uncomfortable. You can go to church. We can play the part. We've preached long enough. We've sang long enough. We've been church and religious folks churchy long enough that we know how to go through the motions. We know how to do church. We know how to wear our masks long before coronavirus ever hits. A couple of you caught that. You'll get it when you get home. I said, we were already wearing masks before coronavirus hit. We've been wearing them to church for years. 
Because when we come into church, we put on the front. We worship like we always have. Nobody's going to know any difference. We try to act like it's all good when we know in our spirit it's not all good. And there's people that get up, they preach, they sing, they do everything knowing good and well that they're not living right. This is the moment that when I get in the presence of God and when you get in the presence of God that God says there's no need for you to lie. When you get in my presence, you might as well spill the beans. You might as well let it out because I know what you did last week. I know what you did yesterday. So you can't put on your mask with me. You can't have a fake facade with me. You can't come into my presence and worship me like you always have. And everybody thinks, oh, what a worshiper. God says, I know your hands aren't clean. I know your heart isn't right. So you can do the look all you want. But I know what's on the inside. So we get nervous when we get in the presence of God. Because when we get in the presence of God, He exposes us for who we are. When I get before God, even though I'm clothed today... In his presence, I stand here as naked as I've ever stood because he knows all about me. So being in the presence of God, Psalm 127, 1. I'm going to show you one more thing. Stress, unless the Lord builds a house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city of the watchman, he stays awake in vain. The stress has to be rolled away when I get in the presence of God. Because kneeling before the God who causes men to either fail or succeed in their labors replaces our anxiety with peace. I'm going to say that again. Kneeling before the God who is going to determine whether I fail or whether I succeed, it will replace my anxiety. It will replace my stress with the peace of God that passes all understanding. Does somebody get what I'm telling you? So when I get in the presence of God, the things that used to worry me, they don't matter anymore. Oh, somebody knows what I'm talking about today. Because you've been stressed before. And you were worried about things. And you decided that you would take it to the Lord in prayer. And when you got, whether it was to an altar, whether it was at your house, it doesn't matter where it was. When you got in the presence of God and the Holy Spirit showed up, you didn't care how much money you had in the bank. You were in the presence of Jesus. You did not care if you were sick. Because in that moment, it was like sickness had to leave. You did not care what you were thinking about for tomorrow because tomorrow's going to take care of itself because the God of peace has entered the room. My God, I wish so. I feel like preaching today. If you'd help me, I'm telling you, there's somebody who needs to understand. It is time to go back to the place with God because this stress that I'm housing, this stress that, I, stress that I'm holding inside, I'm going to let it go. But first, I've got to go up the mountain, I've got to get into the presence of God, and then it has to leave. What have we become in the church? We have become what I'd like to call professional gatherers. Y'all have heard of professional wrestlers, right? When I was growing up, my mother wouldn't have a TV. The day that my father died, the next day the TV was on the front porch. It was either going to go to the trash dump or my sister was going to come get it. It's the only two options. My sister hurried up and got it. Nowadays, y'all want one. It was one of those huge boxes. That thing had to weigh 100 pounds. You know, it's huge. Maybe more than that. And I remember when I was younger, I'd slip in there to watch TV with Daddy because he was the carnal one out the bunch. And we used to watch that professional wrestling. And I remember for a long time, I thought, man, this stuff's real. There ain't no way that Ric Flair's head cannot get busted because his whole head's red. His hair is red. It started off white as snow. It's red as blood now. Later on, I learned that they had these little blood packets that they hit and it just tore my nerves up. I thought I was watching something real. I figured out there's professional wrestlers 
That means they go. That's what they get paid to do. They are good at acting. See, we are professional gatherers. Oh, God, help me today. We often spend a lot of time and effort in gathering believers together. And we have literally, and I repeat, we have literally become experts at gathering the Christians. We have become experts at gathering around bands and gathering around singing and gathering around speakers and, and having a fall festival and all these events that we had pre-COVID. We are good at gathering Christians. Where we have failed is in teaching believers how to be alone with God when they're not gathered in this place. That's what we failed at. We have taught them to come to church. We have taught them to do altar calls after we beg them and we get them finally to come and we pray for them. We've got them taught and trained to do that. What we as leaders and pastors have failed at is getting people to understand that this is only a drop in the bucket of your relationship with Jesus Christ. This is just a Sunday morning and some of you, this is all you'll do all week. But what I'm calling you to a place is a place to go up the mountain where God is moving and where God is living because you don't have to just be a professional gatherer you got to learn to get along with God because what if what if we didn't have this building what if we didn't gather what are you going to do my God in China they're having underground churches what are we going to become when we can in freedom of religion just go to the place of our choice without being prosecuted for it somebody listen to what I'm telling you we better learn now how to get along with God we're not concerned about it oh that'll never happen in America I'm telling you we're one election away from some of these things already taking a foothold in our land so don't you tell me we're not going there I see the signs of the time I know what the end time looks like. You won't always be able to depend on the gathering of the saints. But you can always depend on time alone with the God of the universe. It's 24-7, 365 days a week. we got to learn to get alone. Oh, the professional gatherers. When is the last time? When was the last time that you heard one of your friends or one of those confidants tell you about the, the last experience they had with God. I mean, they're just raving about it. I'm not talking about the latest sale that they had at Belks. I'm talking about the last experience they had with God. I'm talking about the last time that they're saying, man, you should have been at that prayer service. I'm talking about the last time that they say, I opened my Bible yesterday and God opened up something to me. I've never seen it before. Can I just tell you about it? I'm talking about that kind of experience. We're no longer standing in awe at the presence of God. Professional gatherers. Gathering believers who don't spend time alone with God can be a very dangerous thing. This is good. Now, I got this highlighted in, in my little notes here because I want that means that when I see a highlight, that means, Jimmy, you're supposed to say it two times. So I'm going to take my own advice and I'm going to read it again. Gathering believers come into church. Who don't spend time alone with God can be a very dangerous thing. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote in his book Life Together. And I quote it. He said, whoever cannot be alone should be aware of community. Listen. Some people will only do harm to themselves and to that community. 
Alone you stood before God when God called you. Alone you had to obey God's voice. That means when you got saved. Alone you had to take up your cross and struggle and pray. And alone you will die. And alone you will give account to God. You cannot avoid yourself. For it is precisely God who has called you out. If you do not want to be alone, you are rejecting Christ's call to you. And you cannot have a part in the community of those who are called. Watch this. The word community, we throw it around. It's become toxic today in Christian circles. But our gatherings can be toxic if we don't spend time alone with God. See, see, I've been in many groups where people share their insights. All right? The problem is not that they have an insight. The problem is not only that their insights are not as profound as we think they are, but that we're so eager to share thoughts originating in our own minds. I'm going to break this down because this is a little too theological. Are you ready? What he's trying to say is simply this. That when you have a believer that comes to a church, it can be toxic and it can be dangerous when they don't spend time alone with God, but they got a good opinion of how you should run the church. Does that make better sense? Did you get that? That's pretty simple. They've got an idea of how things ought to go. But they haven't spent any time with God. So when you get in that kind of environment and people of influence begin sharing their own ideologies, then guess what? It becomes toxic to the community and to the gatherers. Because we have a God in Isaiah 55, 8 that said, For my thoughts, they are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. I want to know not what your thoughts are. I don't want to know what my thoughts are. What the community of believers need to know is what is the thought of God because that is what we're going to do. That's how we're going to run this place. Listen, listen. Listen, I want to gather with people that have been reading God's Word. I want to gather with people that have been praying and interacting with God during the week. I want to fellowship with those who have been fellowshipping with God. I couldn't care less if they had a doctorate and they were 60 years of life experience. I'd rather have a 15 year old kid that's been alone with God, doesn't have any degree, but knows what the presence of God is all about. I'd rather have that little kid that's been on top of the mountain speaking into my life than the guy with the doctorate that hasn't been alone with God any day of the week. Somebody give Jesus a hand clap of praise today in this house. So we're great at coming to our church services a week. But it doesn't mean a thing if we are never getting along with God. Services are dropping the bucket. This is why community involvement is toxic without personal encounters with God. This is why you get church people that come to socialize. And you get church people. And I've been in churches that... They come together and they they gossip. And the only reason they're doing that is they're sharing their thoughts. And they haven't been listening to God on the mountain. Does everybody see what I'm trying to explain here? So you can become toxic to the gathering. There is so much discussion around books, sermons, conferences. And I'm not against them. Matter of fact, I've, I've, uh, uh, I've given a large, significant portion of my life to books and, and going to conferences. And I learn from those things. But sometimes I wonder if it's time to shift our focus. I'm going to get this straight. We have to look at the facts. American Christians consume more sermons and books than any other group in the history of the world. But when you think about that and then you consider the state of the church in America, what does that say? 
Has the increase in resources led us to greater holiness? Are we living and becoming more holy because of our books? Do we have greater intimacy with Jesus because of a book we read? Are we, are we closer to Jesus than we've ever been before? So we could argue that the state of our churches would be even worse without the resources. And maybe that would be the case. Or could it be that these resources have the potential of distracting people from the source itself? We're spending so much time listening to what John Doe had to say in the book about living a better life. Why don't you go to the source himself and let him show you how to live a better life? There's nothing wrong with the resource as long as I've got the creator of all things going hand in hand. And then it's all well and good because if I read something from the resource that isn't right, I've got the God of the universe that's saying, wait a minute, I'm the source here. That's not correct. So you've got to balance it. Maybe all the books, maybe all the sermons about Jesus have actually kept people from directly interacting with him. Maybe they feel they can read it. It may sound blasphemous to suggest our prayer lives may be weakened by all the consumption of the Christian materials that are out there. But nonetheless, I must throw it out there. For we live in a time when there's most people, they have a difficult time concentrating on anything. We are constantly looking for the quick fix. We are looking for the duct tape mentality. We are looking for a faster solution. If you go to a fast food restaurant, what does that mean? Thank you. You need, I got a couple places you need to tell that to. It's quick. It's time to go. I was in Seneca, living there. I decided one night, I don't know why. I don't even like Captain D's. I'll go ahead and say it on the record. It doesn't matter. Y'all can blot it out if you want. I went to Captain D's one night, and uh, there was literally like one car. One car in front of me. One car. And I sat there for like 20 minutes. And then I got the shrimp, and wish I wouldn't even ate the shrimp. I waited for 20 minutes for that shrimp. I go to McDonald's, there's about 25 cars, <laughs> and in like five minutes, I'm getting my, Mac, my Big Mac. There's a reason it's called quick. It's called fast food because it's supposed to be fast. We are in our spiritual man. We so often are looking for that quick fix because that's our mentality. That's what we've developed. We don't want to spend 20 minutes with God. No, 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 no. We need God to get it done in two minutes. But I'm afraid that because of our quick fix mentality and our duct tape mentality that we've tried to attach this to our spiritual life. And it is not going to make us more spiritual. It is not going to change our lives. It is not going to change our situation. It will not change your family. It will not change your church. When you get in the presence of God, distract have to go and Moses stays on the mountain until God leaves oh God so the thought of sitting quietly to meditate on scripture praying deeply in silence yeah it can be eagerly replaced by I'll just listen to a sermon today online I'll, I'll, while I'm driving the work I'll just, I'll just listen to the sermon now while the sermon listening is better than nothing Considering all the other messages that we're being bombarded with in the year 2020, especially on the news. But the point of this message is to say that regardless of the resources you have, the sermons you listen to, the books that you read, there is no substitute for being alone in the presence of an almighty God. You will never read a book. You will never read a devotion. You will never hear a sermon even from me that will substitute for your being alone with God. We must learn to be still again once we get on top of the mountain. Hurry, Pastor, I am. 
Number two, something has to go. Philippians 1.21, it's simple for Paul. He just loved being with Jesus. So he says, for to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Knowing Christ deeply consumed him. So he says, it doesn't matter if I'm alive, I'm going to spend time with Christ. If I'm dead, I'm going to spend eternity with Christ. Just as long as I'm with Jesus Christ. Philippians 3.8, indeed I count everything as a loss. I want you to grab this. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing just knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. You talk about a man that's standing in awe. You talk about a man that's still in amazement of what happened on the road to Damascus. This is it. I stand in awe at knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things. And I count them as rubbish. Another version said I count them as dung. That's nothing but waste material. In order that I may gain Christ. In other words, my house doesn't matter. Take it, but give me Jesus Christ. I have considered my job as dung. Just let me be alone with Jesus. I've considered everything that I've ever known as rubbish. Just let me know the knowledge of Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And that is all that I need. There's no substitute. For being alone in the presence of a great God like this. If you don't have time, guess what you, we must do. We, we must make time. We've got to make room for it. If tonight you're in your bed. And you start getting a toothache like you ain't never had before. It stays on you all night. You stay up half the night. You get up tomorrow morning, you've already popped Tylenol, you've tried aspirin, you've tried all the things that you could think to try. This toothache is literally hurting like a toothache. That's why they call it that. And you get up the next day and you say, my Lord, i got to go to work today, but this toothache, boy, is killing me. What do you do? You make time to go see a guy that says he's experienced enough to fix your tooth. We call him a dentist. You make time. It doesn't matter what you've got to do. What's on your schedule. You call the boss and say, listen, I'm of no use to you today unless I get this aching tooth fixed. It is killing me. I've been up all night long. I've got to get it fixed. You make time to go see the dentist. What in the world has happened to me? What in the world has happened to you? When I've got the creator of the universe at my disposal, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year from now until I go to the grave. And I don't even set an appointment with him. I don't even make time for him. What has happened to us? What's happened to us? If I got a stomachache, I'll go to the doctor. If I need a toothache uh, fixed, I'm going to the dentist. But my God, whatever happened to the day? Somebody said, well, when I need God, I'll call on Him. That's what the problem is right there. When we need God, we go to Him in prayer. But God's looking for a people that will go up the mountain and say, I don't care today if you give me anything. I just want to sit in your presence. I want to be in the awe of God. I want to praise you for who you are. I want to thank you for what you've done. Whatever happened to us folks what happened to us what happened to us oh god help me so we skip a meal we cancel a meeting we end some regular commitment there is literally nothing more important that you could do today the greatest thing you could do today please listen to me god literally determines whether or not you take your next breath or not i'm coming to a close come on to the piano miss sandra I'm, i'm closing in acts chapter 17 verse 25 my last verse And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Did y'all catch that? 
God, Paul wanted you to see something about this God. He does not need you to exist. I'll make it personal. He does not need me to exist. There is another ear that this microphone will fit on other than mine. God's economy, God's church, this church is not contingent upon me being behind this pulpit. If you believe that, then you certainly don't understand the God that you serve. You don't. You singing, it's not contingent upon whether the songs get sung or not. A matter of fact, I'll say it this way for both of us. There was even a time that God made a donkey talk. So God even showed us, He don't even have to have humans to do it. He can make your puppy dog preach. He wanted us to see. He wanted Balaam to see. He wants all of us to see. I don't have to have you to exist. He says, I'm not served by your human hands as if I needed anything. Rather, He Himself gives everyone life and breath. Alright, that's living. And everything else. Alright, let let me break this down. Alright. I live in a nice house. Thank you, Jesus. If it wasn't for you, I wouldn't even have that house, according to Acts 17, 25. I wouldn't, because you you gave me not only life and breath, you gave me everything else. The the truck that I drive, that I keep asking Dale questions about, and I think he's wanting me to trade the thing and just get a new one, but I'm not going to do it. Always asking Dale all the time, Dale, what's wrong with my truck? What's wrong with my truck? You ought to start charging me for that device. I'm serious. They do it online. Guess what? The truck I drive, I wouldn't have it. God said, I give you everything else. Is somebody grabbing this picture today? Some of you are wearing some nice shoes. Cost you over $100, right? Guess what? God allowed you to have a job, to be able to work, provide for your family, have the house you're living in, even the shoes that you're wearing and the clothes that you have on, or else had it not been for God, you'd have been in a box somewhere. That's right, somebody. Somebody's like, God didn't do that for me. Well, let me tell you something. Today you could fall off a ladder, break your neck, and never work another day in your life, and unemployment refuse you. It's happened to people. It could happen to you today. So I think we need to change our perspective and understand that God wants us to know something. I control it all. Your life, everything you've got. So my question to you today is, could anything be more important than meeting with the one who decides whether you live through the day or not? The guy that has breath in his hand, and if he squishes and it's over, it's extinguished, bam, you're gone. Do you not think it's worth taking time for that guy? Forget about your toothache. Forget about your bellyache. This guy can say, cease to exist, and it happens. So if you're going to make room for your doctor and your dentist, and by all means, please make time for the God that's going to decide whether you're here tomorrow. For life is a vapor. It's here one moment. It's gone the next. All that's going to matter is how much time I was alone with, with Him. So could anything be better? How can we not make time for the maker of time himself? What plans do you have today that we think are so important that we could race past the creator to get to them? So the greatest thing you could do today is very simple. 
It is simply making. Somebody say making. Because it's not going to show up. Making time for God. Ephesus was a church in Revelation. They were a good church. They did some good things. But there's something that's interesting about them. The verse 4 that says it this way. He says, I have somewhat against you. Because you have left your first love. So in other words, you're trying to do all these things. You're professional gatherers. You go to church. I know your good works. You've been doing some good things for the community. All well and good. But there's one problem with you. You've left me out of it. You've left me behind. You no longer take time for me. The love that we once had. When you have love for somebody, you want to be with that person. If you're married and you're wanting to get away from your wife or husband, you might want to check on your love again. Because love draws us to one another. Love is even when we're ill with one another, we'll apologize. Love is even when we don't feel like seeing each other, we're going to say, you know what, honey, I hope you had a good day at work today. And we smile anyhow. It is the love that when our parents give us a spanking or say, boy, you're on a two-week restriction. And they sound like the devil when they tell you it is that love that brings you back to them and says, Dad, I'm sorry I spoke to you that way. I'm sorry that I acted that way. I'm sorry. It is love, love, love that does this. But Ephesus has a problem because they keep coming to church. They keep going through the motion. They keep raising their hands. They keep preaching. They keep singing their song. But they left Jesus behind and you can't leave Him behind. you got to have Him. He says, you've left it. You've left the most important thing. And I leave you with this thought. And I'm going to pray over you. And I'm going to let you take this home today. This isn't something that can be fixed with an altar call. This is not something that me dumping oil on you is going to fix. This is something you and God are going to have to fix yourself. I can't fix it for you. I'll fix mine. You fix yours. You ready? Moses could have stayed at the bottom of the mountain. Because Israel was having a gathering at the bottom. A matter of fact, it was dangerous and toxic to the community. Are you with me? Watch, watch. Let me call to your recollection. They're down here waiting. Moses is praying. Moses is hearing God's voice. They're at the foot of the mountain looking up. They have a gathering. It becomes toxic. They begin to give their own opinions. Well, perhaps Moses has died. Aaron, why don't you lead us? What in the world do y'all want? We want something to worship. Give me your jewelry. They take it off. They make a golden calf. Next thing you know, God's people are down there worshiping a stupid false calf made of gold. Acting like it brought them out of Egypt. God's chosen people are doing these things. It became toxic. They're gathering. It was dangerous because it led to the worship of a golden calf. But Moses wanted more than a gathering. That's why Moses says, I ain't staying with these people anymore. I've had enough of their mouth. I've heard enough of their opinions. Enough of their ideas. I'm going to go up on the mountain where the glory is. And he left them behind because there was a man that said, I can't take it anymore. I can't be in a gathering anymore. I've got to get alone with God before I can go on anymore. I've got to be alone. How about you today? Are you satisfied with our gatherings? Or do you feel the need to get to the mountain alone in the presence of an almighty holy God? Let's all stand. I, today I hope I accomplish my purpose because sometimes we don't need a make me happy sermon. Sometimes we don't need to go out the door talking about, woohoo, man, that was good. Preacher got us excited. Preacher made me feel good about myself.
Today I challenge us from the front door to the back door. And I challenge us to understand that there is a God that is waiting at the top of the mountain. And He is waiting for you. He is waiting for me. He is wanting us to get into His presence. And I promise you, please hear me. Some of us has been so long since we've been in the presence of God in a meaningful way that we forgot what it feels like to even shed a tear. Some of us guys are so tough that we've forgotten what it is to sit in the floor and talk to God and tears roll down our feet by face because the Holy Spirit came on us and broke our little humanity down. Our masculinity wall, He broke it down. Come on somebody, I'm telling you today, I feel an urging in my spirit to tell somebody today, it's time to be alone. The preacher can't fix it for you. This church service can't fix it for you. It's about you and what you're going to do with God. Father, oh my God Almighty, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Help us not to stand at the foot of the mountain like so many did that day. They looked up, they could see the lightning, they could see the smoke. Some of them suggested that Moses had died. But Moses had went to a place with God that he had never been before. Because I tell the part of the story of where they're building this calf. But I failed to tell the part where he comes down and he's got ten commandments. My God. And that God writes with his own hand the ten commandments. And and Moses comes down with these things. We still got him posted in some courthouses. Thank God. What I'm telling you is so great when he comes down. This is good. He, He goes into what is known as an unapproachable light. But he gets as close as he can to Jesus. As close as he can. Moses, God, can I see you? He says, you can't see me, Moses, but you can see the hinder part. And he turns his back. Because if he shows him his face, Moses will die. Because God is an unapproachable light. But the light of Jesus shines so bright on that mountain. That when Moses comes down. The people say, Moses, we can't look at you anymore. You're too bright. And they put a veil over his face. And it was all because a man decided to be alone with God. And he got so close to the light. That other people could see it. God, I just close in this prayer. Stir us up. Help us to make time for you. Help us to not be content with this gathering that we've become professionals at. Help us to get on the mountain and get along with you. That's the only way things will change. All right, Jennifer. She's going to come pew by pew. I want to tell you all something that before, while she's doing this.